One of today's snazzy sponsors is Quest Software, your go-to for everything Microsoft. Move, manage, and secure Active Directory, Office 365, and much more. Visit quest.com slash datanotspod to find out more. Quest.com slash datanotspod. Open source. Wow, it's, it's an interesting space, and it deserves a lot of attention from infrastructure and ops. Those communities definitely need to be looking at what's going on. And in this show, we're going to take a look at NRE Labs and the Antidote Project to discover more about the platform and the learning curriculum for aspiring network engineers. Howdy, I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on the Twitters. And with me is my co-host who once built an enterprise-grade router out of both twigs and mud, Ethan Banks. He's at EC Banks on Twitter. Together, we talk to coworkers not on our team to break down technical silos and make IT suck, well, less. Welcome to the Data Knots, and let's jump into things. All right. As I talked about in the introduction, we're talking about NRE Labs, and I'll just get straight to the to the actual meat and potatoes of the episode. Matt Oswalt, welcome to the show again. Tell everyone who may have forgotten, you know, what it is you do. And I also like your title. You have to read that out loud. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, 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 my title that I like to say is I'm an engineer in marketing clothing because it's frankly probably a better descriptor than my actual title than what I do day to day. I work for Juniper Networks, uh, and and uh, my Twitter handle is Mirdin M I E R D I N. And yeah, basically what I've been doing ever since I joined Juniper about you know, a year and a half ago is I just work on compelling stuff that uh, moves the industry forward. And Juniper pays me. It's kind of nice. That is not a bad deal. And <laughs> I will say I've seen, I'll be honest with you, I, I learned a little bit about NRE Labs in Priority Queue Show 158. We'll have that in the show notes if you're curious about the Priority Queue Show. It's part of the Data Nuts, or I'm sorry, it's part of the Packet Pushers Network. And uh, I was like, well, that's interesting. I bookmarked it. And that just, I feel like every day I see NRE Labs somewhere in the Twitters. And I'm like, all right, I really need to double down and, and figure out what's going on here. So maybe you can just a warm open here. What is the mission of NRE Labs? What, what is it you and your team are looking to accomplish uh, with this program? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is an area um, for those that have probably heard me before, more than likely, I've been talking about some topic related to network automation. So I've been involved in the space for a little bit. And if you've paid attention to the space like I have, you've noticed that it's been a hot topic for five to 10 years um, or more, yet adoption is still like extremely low. Um, just about everybody, you know, including Gartner, as well as some other analysts have estimated that um, most network operations, and I don't mean like just barely most, I mean overwhelmingly, most network operations are still totally manual and CLI driven. Um, you'll see pockets of, of automation, certainly as you get into like, especially like the hyperscales. I don't usually include them in uh, in these kind of talks because we're, what we're mostly talking about is enabling the, the industry broadly. Um, but mostly the adoption is still pretty low. So you have to draw the conclusion from that that something's not working. We've we failed in some, in some way. Um, I feel like there's two parts to this. First off, I think for a long time, we've been pretty laser focused on a sort of hello world example for network automation that doesn't really represent the biggest pain or time suck for a lot of network teams, um, in particular, configuration management. You know, it's one of the earliest things you'll probably look at in, in network automation. But frankly, we don't spend a lot of our time making configuration changes. Um, and so you have to, if you see that as the hello world, it's natural to draw the conclusion that if you're not making a lot of configuration changes, then network automation isn't for you, which is of course not true. And, and it's a little sad, frankly. So wait, let's clarify though. Is that not a lot of changes? Because I, I don't know, as a consumer, it's like I ask for a change and it takes three weeks. So that's the measurement or it's just that the network is kind of static and there's not a lot of changes to make at all. 
Well, that's the thing, right? So I think a lot of vendors um, expect that most network engineers, most of their customers are spending 100% of their times in the CLI of the network devices making changes like that. They feel like that's like the majority of what people spend their time doing. And it's, it's just not true. Um, there's a lot to even making changes that doesn't take place within the CLI of a network device. Um, there's a lot of things just like, you know, manipulating data, doing some planning. Capacity planning is a good example of that. Um, troubleshooting issues like read-only activities that just get totally underserved in conversations like this, yet automation is extremely helpful in cases like that for not just time-saving, but also just getting closer to the issue um, more quickly. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, for me, like, I've, I've had this sort of this, this mismatch between what most folks in the space talk about, including myself, by the way, I'm guilty of a lot of this, where we <laughs> talk about config management until we're blue in the face. But the reality is that's not the only thing people do, um, especially in the world of ITIL, who, where we shove all of our changes into the end of the week, you know, within a three-hour um, window. So you have to ask your question, what else are we doing and, and how can automation help us with that? Yeah, and I, I know earlier before we started recording, you talked about kind of the, the production side problem. You know, it's not necessarily a tool. It's like, I, I don't know, dig, dig deeper into that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you, you have sort of two sides of the coin. We have what, what, what um, we like to call like a production side problem, meaning, you know, we don't have the right tools to do the, the things that we need to do. In this particular case, we're talking about automation. Um, that might have used to be the case, but I think today the... Uh, the, 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 the fact that new tools are coming out almost every day, uh, it's not really a problem anymore. Surely we will need to continue to make better tools, um, but I don't think that's the constraint anymore. Um, I think it's obvious right now that the, that the constraint is, is, uh, is now more than ever a consumption problem. So we've got the tools, but we, don't, we just don't see a lot of folks using it. And I think there's a lot of reasons why this might be the case. First off, I think we've naturally and sort of unintentionally put up a lot of barriers. Part of this is, you know, a lot of the folks that go down this path is they just, they get busy doing the work. You know, they're working for big companies, they're, they're doing the automation, and they learn a lot from that. They don't have the time or, frankly, the inclination or the, the reason, frankly, to go back and teach the rest of the industry what they learn. Some people write blogs, and that's useful, but um, it's just not, uh, it's, it's just not part of what they, you know, they don't get paid to do that. So it's just tough to pour all of your time into one thing and then have any time left for the, for teaching. Um, the also, also thing I think to highlight, to sort of go beyond what I was talking about before with configuration management, we, we don't really have our true North in mind right now for automation. And, and frankly, you know, a lot of folks, we talk about automation, like it's this sort of doing things faster. Like that's why we automate or um, just trying to wildly spray configs around your network. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to apply configs at a rapid pace to my network. Well, that's cool. But, you know, in terms of like the, the true north of why we do this stuff, like why are you doing that? What is the actual goal you're trying to accomplish? The reality is that automation is and always has been about building and maintaining a reliable infrastructure. So I think we need to recenter on that. Basically, all of that said, I, I think what we have right now is a pretty big consumption problem. We've got plenty of tools. We've got use cases. We've got people that are actually doing this. The problem now that we have to solve, the real constraint in the system, is much more of a people problem. We have a consumption problem. People just aren't consuming the changes of, of culture and process out there. They're not just doing it. They, they see the tools that are out there, but they just don't, they're, not, they're not picking them up. And so I think what we have to do is help solve that. Yeah, yeah applying what we've done for years as network engineers in into what those tools can do is not an easy leap to make. So I think there's a lot of people looking at all the cool tools and then going, and, you know, going back to some of what you were saying earlier, Matt, like, what, what am I exactly supposed to be doing? Because as soon as you start digging into these tools, particularly the more capable ones, it impacts your workflow significantly. And you got to rethink how you've built that network and how you actually make 
well, configuration changes for, for, for one thing. It's, it's not, a, not an easy step to make. Totally. And, that, and that's assuming you know what tools you want to use. Right. Like, that's a problem right. even after that point. But what, but what happens even before that? Like you, you see all of these tools out there that are designed to do very different things. How do you get competent enough with those tools to know that you need to use them? It, well, it turns out that a lot of these things are so complicated that it's actually worse than that. A lot of times you have to spend about 80% to 90% of your time just learning enough about a tool to the point where you're almost ready to put it in production. Like you're learning that much about it just to know if it's useful to you. Like you have to put in 80, 80 to 90% of the effort just to get to that point, which is, wow. which is, which is rough. I mean, you, and so like, what if you, what if the answer is that it's not useful for you? It's some constraint, some design criteria that it was built for that doesn't apply to you. So that's just wasted time. And I think people know that. I think, you know, a lot of folks that go down this path are smart. They know that that's a risk that, that is on this path. And instead of, you know, taking that risk, we we just stick with what we know the, the current process. I don't I don't think there's actually anything unnatural about that at all. Oh, but then as you say, new tools coming out all the time, so people are trying to figure out well, what should I be investing this time into to figure out if it's worthwhile for me or not? When the new hotness seems to be every other month, there's some new project or new strategy people seem to have to go after automation. Totally, yeah, totally. So, you know, basically, that's what we, that's the that's the actual like the specific problem domain that we're going after with NRA Labs. You know, it's not a new automation tool. It's what it's what it's doing is it's trying to change the game a little bit with how people consume this this kind of stuff. It's really built to solve that consumption problem first and foremost. And I think one of the ways we do that is we embed all of this content, all this learning content. Let's say you want to learn a particular you know Python library. The lesson that's designed to teach you that is all done in the browser. Meaning you don't have to set anything up on your laptop. I think you eventually should. Um, you know, eventually you should get to the point where you're comfortable with working with, uh, you know, your local system. But if you're just trying to figure out if this is useful to you, there's not a huge need to do that off the bat. So what we do is we just do everything behind the scenes on your behalf, and you just simply interact with it in the browser. You don't need to set anything up. You really don't even need to know anything in advance. You just interact with the lesson. And the other thing is that if, if this is very important to me, and, and I've wanted to build this for years, actually. And one of the things that was very important to me from the get-go is that it's democratized. You know, this is this is way bigger than one organization, whether a vendor or a customer. And so for me, it's important that the curriculum is totally democratized, you know, being meaning free and controlled by the community, you know, not one, not just one specific vendor or any other entity. I think that's super important because, you know, this isn't a product problem. Again, this is not a production side problem. It's not, a, it's not for lack of technology. It's not for lack of tools. It's, for, it's a consumption problem. And that's why we have to solve it that way. So you just addressed the major elephant in the room, which is you work for Juniper, Matt. So does NRE Labs, <laughs> is it therefore really a Juniper-oriented product? I think you just said no, but, but please clarify. I'll say it again. Absolutely not. It's just resounding no. Here's the sort of the elevator pitch for how this works. Basically, Juniper's sponsoring the runtime for the project, right? We created the project, then now we're hosting it at labs.networkreliability.engineering. And so that requires you know somebody to pay the cloud bills. Juniper does that. They also pay me while I work on it, so that's a big deal too. And I'll just be honest, the reason for that, the reason that's happening is because Juniper benefits if the industry becomes more automation savvy. I'll take my Juniper hat off for a second, not that I really am putting it on at all for this project, because it, like I said, it's not really a Juniper project. Um, even well before I joined Juniper, I, I worked for eBay, for, for example. I always thought that, that there were a lot of things that Juniper did well in the automation space. And I, I, I think it's pretty clear if people become more automation savvy, you know, Juniper benefits from that. We've got some of the hooks to make that um, a lot better. But the cool thing about this is we don't actually have to make that very explicit. Like we don't have to make NRE Labs like the Juniper show in order to accomplish that goal. 
So in this case, it's it, it actually is a win-win. Um, you know, we've, we've got this situation where we can create a curriculum that's beneficial to everyone, one that focuses way less um, on like products and specific technologies and a lot more on how they're used, um, you know, in order to, again, to make our infrastructure more reliable, which is really what the, you know, the whole entire conversation should have always been about. So that's what we're doing in this project. That's why Juniper is maintaining the involvement they're, they're, they're maintaining at the moment. Yeah, I'll say when I was doing the research behind NRE Labs and the different projects that you had, it wasn't even super clear that Juniper was all that heavily involved. I kind of had to look up where you worked because I forgot. (laughs) So uh, good job on the democratization of the project. And one of the first things that kind of came to mind when I was kind of, you know, doing a cold open and really just looking at the project with fresh eyes was, what's the difference between NRE Labs and the Antidote project? And And then maybe we can get deeper into, you know, what's under the covers. Yeah, sure. We we started talking. Um, I I, I, I have, I've had a few different inspirations that I've pulled from over the past few years um, uh, for 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 something that I wanted to build along these lines. I, I had like you know basically the equivalent of napkin drawings and things like that um, for for what we wanted to build. As we started to get into the details and started really thinking about okay, how are we actually going to make this work? Um, it became clear that there was an opportunity for us to separate out um, the the actual software and platform and all of the technical bits that make this work from the curriculum itself or like all of the content. You know, what we could have done is we could have built this, you know, sort of monstrous thing that is designed to teach network automation. But instead, what we did was we built um, the project Antidote as a very generic platform for teaching kind of anything. Obviously, there's there's bits in here that are conducive to not only networking, but just systems learning in general, and there are technical bits that, that are conducive to that. But there's nothing about the Antidote project that is specific to network automation or network reliability engineering. All of that stuff is uh, totally uh, isolated within the NRE Labs curriculum, and, and we've, we've kind of created an abstraction to make those things separate but related. Hmm. So NRE okay. Labs, you can think of it as like the runtime. It's like the website. You go to the website, that's NRE Labs. NRE Labs uses both the NRE Labs curriculum as well as Antidote to power it. Gotcha. It's good. It almost reminds me of like the Contoso of Microsoft. You know, like this is our this is our platform, our name, and our brand. And then Antidote's like what you work with. And <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a project. And the other thing that I, I kind of enjoyed, I guess, was uh, the interesting open source projects that were under the organization page on GitHub. And I, I listed a few, maybe you can go into, uh, I saw that you were using Minikube with Kubernetes, or at least Kubernetes is involved. You have different kind of deployment models that you strategize on the page. Uh, I don't know if we want to call that a dependency or not, uh, as well as Antidote Syringe and Antidote Web. There's, there's definitely a strong medical theme. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. Like, what do these different projects do? And, and then let's go into the architecture of Antidote. Sure. So we kind of already touched a little bit on the separation w- between the curriculum of that power, you know, that 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 uh, that forms the content on the site, NRE Labs. Uh, the difference between that and the platform. We'll go into a little bit more detail, but you can think of it in three tiers. So we've got basically the curriculum, which is NRE Labs. That's got its own sort of GitHub repo, um, which we'll provide a link to in the show notes. So that's separate. There's also sort of um, platform projects, and so we put all of those projects under the umbrella uh, called, you know, called Antidote. You can kind of think of that like OpenStack. OpenStack's not one thing. It's like a bunch of different things. So for us, that's kind of the same thing. So Syringe is a component there. That's got its own repo. It's maintained separately. Antidote Web is another one that's more of a front-end, like web uh, web interface kind of stuff. Those are separate. There are a few other components, which we'll get into. But that forms the, the bulk of what we call the platform. It's basically the software that makes the thing work. 
And then the third thing is is really uh, up to you if you want to run this. Um, what we do is um, we run uh, all of this on top of Google Cloud. We're actually moving from Google Cloud to a bare metal as a service provider called Packet. Again, this is all for the you know production instance. Um, the one thing on the infrastructure layer that's not optional is Kubernetes. So you do have to have a Kubernetes cluster to run this because not only do the, uh, the, the platform components run on top of Kubernetes, but they actually tie in with the Kubernetes API to spin up lesson resources. So if you go to NRE Labs, the site, and you click on one of the lessons, um, what actually happens is the backend orchestrator called Syringe sees that you're requesting that particular lesson. It knows what the it knows the different components that are in that lesson, and what it does is it call it makes API calls to Kubernetes to create uh, containers and networks and ingresses and services and all kinds of stuff that are that are needed to actually run the lesson. So uh, Kubernetes is required, but frankly, it doesn't really matter where it runs. You know, we run on Google Cloud today, but we're moving to a new provider. That part doesn't really matter as much. It's really it's Kubernetes that's the that's the common infrastructure there. No, no, it's actually crystallizing. You know, even though I've, I've I've read the docs, you know, RTFM'd, uh, it actually, as you describe it, it makes more more sense. It's like, hey, how we describe what the lab looks like, the curriculum itself, what you're going to be learning, all the dependencies, the YAMLs, the long list of things. That's that's the curriculum kind of top layer that the NRE Labs projects are really focused on. And then yep. to make that will actually happen, the thing that's reading those descriptors, the YAML files and all that jazz is the platform layer, which is Antidote. With, which involves syringe and antidote web and a few others. And that's what's translating what you're needing for the curriculum down to the infrastructure layer to say, hey, I need these containers. This is where the image is at, you know, and then obviously Kubernetes and GCE or whomever you choose is actually running that and scheduling those containers. Is that about it? Yeah, and the net of that, of course, is that the users of the site don't have to know anything about Kubernetes or really know that Kubernetes is involved at all. It's it's all up to the backend uh, software to orchestrate that. So, dude, but there's a, even you, a bigger all... point. You don't even have to know as the consumer of this lesson. You don't have to build your own lab. You don't have to figure <laughs> out packages and dependencies and run your own VMs and try to get them all stitched together and talking. Just screw all that. You don't have to worry about it. Everything just appears in a browser, and you're not talking to some fake. Uh, interactive <laughs> command line. You're talking to an actual thing that got built for you on the fly so that you can do this lesson without you having to do a thing or commit any resources to it. It's glorious. I'm very excited. I'm sorry. I, it's awesome. I love I love the differences because I'm like, I immediately noticed I'm like, oh, how do I set up the Kubernetes? Where does like the API calls happen? And you're like, <laughs> I don't want any of that crap. Get it out of yeah. my face. Yeah. <laughs> There's something for everybody. <laughs> yeah, there is. I mean, you've got, there's a bunch of different people, uh, personas that we could talk about. Like you've got the general user of the site, right? They don't need to set anything up at all. They just go to the site. Um, then you've got people who build content. They don't even have to know anything about Kubernetes either. Um, we've, you know, we, what we've done is we've created an abstraction within the platform that allows them to define just what's necessary to, to you know, to convey the things that they want to teach and the, and the endpoints that they want to represent. Um, you probably need to know a little bit about Docker so you can build your own images. If you need that in your lesson, you might not. But that's about it. And and really what we do is we we, uh, we ingest all of that information so that the backend infrastructure just creates what's needed on the fly based on you know what's being requested. So let's say I want to contribute to this whole project. How do I begin working with the NRE Labs components? Great question. So as I mentioned, all of this runs on top of Kubernetes regardless. So, you know, obviously we run, you know, a sort of more, slightly more production quality Kubernetes cluster to power the site. But what you can do is you can really easily condense all of this down to run on a single node Kubernetes cluster on your laptop. And there's actually a lot of tools out there that we didn't create that we're just, you know, we're just making use of. Um, a good example of that is Minikube. So what we have is we have a repository we call Antidote Self-Medicate. And it's kind of what, kind of what the name uh, sounds like. We went a little crazy with the theme there. 
Um, but basically what that means is it, it allows you to run Antidote on your laptop using Minikube. So Minikube uh, is one of the components used by this script, calls Minikube to create basically a one-node Kubernetes cluster. There's also a whole bunch of config files in that repo that we install automatically for you as part of that script that makes Antidote run. And the net of that is what you can do is you can actually you, you can clone the, uh, the curriculum repository on your laptop and make changes there whether it's changing an existing lesson or um, adding a new lesson or, or you know, making some minor fixes, doesn't really matter. And you can, you can actually run that curriculum locally on your laptop with you know, the, the cool benefit of that is you know how it works before you maybe want to contribute that upstream. Do you need a, like a heavy-duty laptop to pull that off? That totally depends. Um, uh, the The platform itself is very lightweight. Um, in fact, the, uh, the 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 majority of the, um, the the platform is written in uh, in Go, and it's you know, up to very small binaries, and, and they don't use a lot of RAM at all. Because um, again, it's really just translating between you know sort of REST API calls and translating those to API calls to Kubernetes. So it's it's very lightweight. Um, so the net of that is it really depends on what's in your lesson. Like if you're running like five uh you know network devices each of which require four gigs of ram then you're then you're going to need that much it's not you know you're not going to need anything differently than what you would need if you were setting this lab up yourself um generally speaking the only difference is we orchestrate the the actual connectivity for you um based on our abstraction so it, it depends on what you have um i would recommend you know basically using self-medicate on your laptop until you know you need to scale beyond that um, at which point, well, one of the ways that uh, you could do this, uh, you could you could use uh, you know cloud resources. That's a really good idea. Um, cool thing about those is you can you know turn it off uh, when you're done using them. So if you wanted to spin up a VM in say AWS and use it there, that's cool. Um, uh, the bare metal is a service provider. I don't mind giving them a plug because they're pretty awesome. Uh, called Packet, um, Packet.com. They uh, they're really cool. They only have uh, you know seven. There's a there's a really small server that we're that that uh, we're using actually currently as one of our controller nodes for seven cents an hour. And they even have a Terraform provider, so you can easily spin things up uh, or down as needed. But uh, that's that's uh, that's if you want a bare metal server. Uh, obviously, you can also use like AWS and you can use Google Compute, um, Azure. Doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, as long as as long as you can spin up, uh, you know, what you need to spin up in your lesson, then it then it'll work fine. I know not everyone li- that listens to Data Nuts. I know you're not all network engineers, but I got to tell you, building virtual network labs with virtualized network equipment and then getting it all stitched together just so you can do a lab exercise is a pain in the butt. It's inconsistent from vendor to vendor and so on. So NRE Labs taking away a major learning barrier here for people, which is just building the backend lab so you can actually study something. NRE Labs taking that nuisance away is is a really big deal, and I'm glad I'm glad they exist. If it was just for that reason, Chris, what was your uh, takeaway? I feel you, man. I definitely remember trying to set up virtual labs uh, as a server person, trying to learn networking, and that that's a whole ordeal. But but my takeaway is something that Matt was saying. You know, not a lot of time and incentive to go figure out how to solve problems at scale with automation using different tooling or whatnot. And then the important part: go back and teach others. You know, that's your. You're tired. You just got things going on. It's not prioritized. And I like that NRE Labs really addresses that kind of tribal knowledge, you know, sinkhole, while also allowing folks to kind of say, yeah, that kind of worked here. This this is cool. Check this out to the community because that's just a great thing. Wow. 
One of our sponsors today is Quest Software, your go-to for everything Microsoft. In a nutshell, Quest takes the complex things about your Microsoft environment and makes them easier to deal with. For instance, let's say you're dealing with a move to cloud, or maybe a merger, or maybe you're doing both at once. What happens? With too much to do, you start making mistakes. You give out more permissions than you should because you got too much to deal with and sticking that user and that group and that OU wasn't the right thing to do, but it was the convenient thing and it lets you go back to writing that script to help you migrate accounts. Oh yeah, your scripts, the canned tools, some open source thing you found, you're stirring all this stuff together with a keyboard and a mouse and it's sort of working to get the project done, kinda, as long as no one else has to use it and the CSV files are in just the right format. Ugh, it's ugly. This is where Quest software fits in. With Quest, you can migrate without end-user disruption. You can improve the migration process by using more automation and less roll your own and hope it works. And you can maintain a compliant internal security posture. No more over-permitting because you didn't have time to figure out how to do it right. Quest fits in when you're facing migration to a new SharePoint or you're migrating to a new Office 365 environment. You're consolidating AD and Exchange. You're securing Active Directory from insider threats and more. Quest has been doing this for a long time. They help manage 184 million AD accounts today, plus they've migrated over 95 million accounts and 74 million mailboxes. They have had time to get their software right Something that Gartner recognizes about Quest, listing them as the only cloud office migration tool offering all 40 features and functions key to have. By the way, Quest isn't only selling software and hoping it works out for you. They also have a support team you can reach 24 by 7 by 365. And if you just rolled your eyes because you hate vendor tech support, Quest has been recognized eight times for customer support excellence and has a 93% customer service satisfaction rating. Odds are that if you do need to call Quest support, the experience is going to be pretty good. To learn more about Quest software, your go-to for everything Microsoft, visit quest.com slash datanotspod. One more time, that's quest.com slash datanotspod. And we thank them for being a Datanauts sponsor. All right, Matt, we've got a high-level understanding of the architecture of NRE Labs, so we want to go deeper now. We want to go deeper into all, really all the different projects that are make up the, the, the total product you end up with. What are those projects? How do they relate to one another? Sure. So um, we kind of touched on a few of them. I'll go into a little more, more detail. The first one to hit on definitely is the NRE Labs curriculum itself. As I mentioned, what we've done with the platform is we've built an abstraction that allows us to totally separate that out. So what that means is all the content that you see in NRE Labs, um, the actual like text, like the lesson guides and, and the topologies and the scripts and all of that stuff that you go to actually learn about, all of that is in its own repo. It's totally separate. Um, and, and that repo is NRE Labs, all one word, hyphen, curriculum. Um, we'll, we'll put all kinds of links in the show notes if you want to look at that. Um, so that's what we, we, we refer to that as sort of our reference curriculum, meaning like that's the curriculum that we, that we work on and that we have, you know, folks that, that sort of know network automation or want to learn network automation and want to sort of contribute their learnings to the curriculum. That's what we use there. And that's its own repo. And then of course, when we are running the NRE lab site, we actually clone that repo and use that to power the content. Um, so that's its own repo. The other important portion of the project that's really important to call out is Syringe. The vast majority of the logic on how this all works is there. It's in it's in Syringe. Syringe you can think of as basically the it, it's what offers the abstraction that I'm talking about. This whole curriculum as code abstraction, where we're able to describe an entire curriculum as text files at GitHub. So Syringe makes that possible. Um, and what it'll do is is um, you'll point Syringe at the uh, the local repo that you clone. 
uh, that's that's compatible, uh, and it will load all of that into memory and then represent that uh, via its API. And so everything else will call that. It also obviously is is the component that interacts with uh, Kubernetes. I touched on that earlier. So there's code within the within Syringe itself. Uh, to once it receives API calls on on its API, it turns around and then translates that into Kubernetes specific API calls. Um, so you don't have to do any of that. Whether you're a lesson author or just a consumer of the site, you know you don't have to call Kubernetes directly at all. Um, what you do is is you just work with the abstraction that's offered. Uh, there's a few others. There's a few other components. Of course, there's a there's a front end component. So all of the the, the sort of the web front end that you see there when you go to the site, um, that's its own project. We call that Antidote Web. Uh, and that's kind of what it sounds like. It's effectively just, you know, sort of vanilla HTTP or HTML, JavaScript, and uh, CSS, that kind of stuff. We'll get into it when we get into Guacamole. There's like a very, very, very small amount of Java because that's what the Guacamole uses. It actually uses Java to do the in-browser terminal. So we have a term, for a lot of lessons, we have a terminal that's built into the browser. We're also uh, soon, hopefully soon, we're going to be supporting VNC. So VNC connections, if you want to run like Wireshark in the browser, we'll be supporting that very soon. Guacamole is also going to be making that possible. Of course, there are other things that you can do inside of a lesson that doesn't use that, but that's effectively what Antidote Web offers. Um, so Antidote Web is effectively the web front end for all of this stuff. And then some minor projects. Of course, we mentioned self-medicate. That's effectively a repo that houses scripts and configuration files that you can use to launch a local instance of Antidote. So it just basically allows you to run a single node Kubernetes cluster, and it automatically sets that up for you and automatically installs Antidote on top of that. And that way, you just have a sort of local running instance. And um, also, all of the um, you know sort of Terraform definitions, Ansible playbooks, Stackstorm pack, and actions and workflows, all that stuff that we use to actually run not only the NRE Labs site, so um, there's there's stuff in there for you know sort of standing up all of the infrastructure that powers NRE Labs, but also all of like our release workflows. So when we cut new releases of the platform itself, um, all of that's stored in a repo called Antidote Ops. Um, that's certainly not required. You don't have to use any of that. It's, we, we, only, we really open source that just because you know, it might be useful if you want to see how we do it or maybe you want to run your own version. Um, so we, we, do, we do everything in the open. There's nothing, there's nothing as part of this project that we do sort of behind closed doors. <laughs> It's like, how, how is the sausage made for the sausage maker? You know, it's like <laughs> multiple layers of sausage. Just yeah. curious, Matt, is there, a, is there a specific version of Kubernetes you're using? Because I follow their releases and uh, all, every new release has a lot of alpha features in it, not really intended for production. So how did you yeah. sort that particular problem? Well, so the biggest the biggest thing is, I, and if memory serves, in fact, I'm pretty sure this is true, we're at 1.13.1 at the moment. Uh, there was a pretty bad security vulnerability. Maybe that's where the vulnerability was, and we're, in a, we're on 14 now. But anyway, we're a pretty recent version, I would say. The biggest challenge there is if there are API changes where we need to make uh, changes to Syringe. Um, so Syringe is written in Go. What we do, we actually do some really cool stuff with respect to generating uh, something called custom resource definitions in uh, Kubernetes. So we're using a project called Multis that allows us to do some of the networking magic behind the scenes that allows you to connect networking devices that are present within Docker containers together. And in order to do that, you got to do some custom stuff with Kubernetes. And so all of that's effectively baked into syringe code. It's just sort of the way that the Kubernetes Go SDK works. And so when we move between uh, Kubernetes versions, um, not all the time, but sometimes there are changes there where we've got to pull the latest version and, and kind of go to the next version and make some code changes. That's usually the biggest problem. Um, fortunately, the actual infrastructure portion, meaning moving to a new version of Kubernetes um, and migrating to that, is actually remarkably easy because what we've done is we've built 
all of the setup for that. So all of the cluster build, um, as well as you know setting up the load balancing uh, uh, configurations and, and firewall rules, all of that stuff is is uh, uh, programmed within our Terraform definitions and our Ansible playbooks in that Antidote Ops repo. So if we do need to upgrade, the actual upgrade itself is very painless. We just sort of tear everything down and start from scratch. So usually the big the big tentpole is changing the actual backend code to be compatible with any sort of API changes that we want to take advantage of. Matt, I want to dig into like what you get out of the learning curriculum. So maybe you could tell me, you know, what does a typical curriculum look like? What what am I learning by using NRE Labs in the curriculums? And also, you know, how are those curriculums generated? What does that look like? If you can kind of pick those things apart for us. Totally, yeah. So NRE Lab, the NRE Labs curriculum itself. Speaking speaking of that actual like repo, that actual GitHub repository that houses all that content, that is pretty laser focused on network automation and sort of network reliability engineering principles. Um, so I will briefly tangent off and say the platform has nothing to do with that. The platform can show uh, a lot more than just this because it's a lot more generic. But laser focused on that particular curriculum, uh, the kind of things that you'll learn there are. Um, really useful if you're just starting in the network automation journey. Um, you'll, you're, there are things in there that, that you might have experience with, but there's probably things in there you have no experience with at all and you might have been learning about. I, in fact, I hear this story so often from a lot of people where you know they keep hearing that they need to learn about Python and using Python to um, you know, work with their network devices. Even if it's just generating reports, that's a pretty common one too. And they just don't know where to start. And they, all they want to do is start to develop that muscle memory. They even know that their sort of favorite vendor or even some um, other shops like Network to Code, great company for teaching network automation. They even know about that stuff. But they're in many ways, they're, they're afraid to even embark on that journey because they just know they're coming in cold. So for us, that's that's kind of the, the, the focus for this curriculum, at, at least at the moment. What we've done is we've built content or solicited folks that, uh, you know, that, that are out there in the community that are experts at some of these things. Um, to create content that focuses on that. Like, here is your first touch with, say, Bash, for instance, or Python, or Git, um, uh, all kinds of things like that. Um, is it going to make you an expert at those things? No. And in fact, what we do is we actually do link to other um, companies, um, like paid training. Network to Code is a good example of that. Uh, Kirk Byers, who runs a Python class. Like, we, for, for us, what we want to do is we want to direct folks that way. Um, because, again, this is, this is all about ado increasing adoption. Um, and you so bootstrap we, them. Here's enough to here's enough to get started. Exactly right. Be dangerous, but if you want to go really deep, but here's here's the person or team to do it with. Yeah, it's exactly right. The 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 what we put into place, we feel like optimizes really really well for that very very first step. I want to get some muscle memory with X, and and that way I start to build that that uh, build that confidence. Got it. Yeah, because I was looking through and I saw you know version control with Git, RESTful APIs, and it's all described in the YAML file. And there's a markdown with like the the you know, getting started, here's the lab exercises. I just thought that was interesting because I, I kind of had a similar moment where I'm like, even though this is called NRE, you know, I'm assuming that's like network reliability engineering, you know, spinoff on SRE. It felt like the platform itself could really be kind of aimed for anything once someone builds out the lesson. But there was certainly a lot of good content around there uh, focused on things like version control and, and how to actually get things into those DevOpsian type tools, pardon the, the turn of phrase there, mm -hmm. uh, that not everyone's really had the exposure to. And it's unfair to just assume they know these things out the gate. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the cool thing about being represented in the site, you know, once you populate that curriculum into the platform, like we've done with the NRA Lab site, um, you don't even need to deal with any of those files. What you see in the in the web UI is you see a terminal to the right and then a lesson guide to the left that has buttons in it that if you don't even want to type anything, you can just click those buttons and it copies the text into the terminal for you. But the cool thing about the terminal is, as Ethan said, all of this is provisioned on demand for you. This isn't a read-only copy. It's not a shared environment. Everything is spun up on demand. And so if you wanted to learn about something, you get an environment 
environment spun up automatically without any intervention from you um, that is fully interactive and fully read-write. Matt, what is Syringe Client? We talked about Syringe. You mentioned that it's a, it's an orchestrator and a lot of what it's hooked into, but what is the Syringe Client? Yeah, cool. This is um, um, something that w- uh, recently actually was created. Uh, it used to be the only part of Syringe that we would actually compile to an actual binary, to an actual program, was uh, Syringe D, which is just, as you can imagine, it's the daemon that runs Syringe. It's the backend server component. But there's a lot of things that um, we've discovered uh, would be useful to be able to control in Syringe from, say, your laptop. So we also are now compiling a command line client for Syringe that we just call SYRCTL, kind of like kubectl. And uh, what, uh, one of the things that, you know, sort of uh, the vanilla use case for that is, well, you can control syringe. There's a bunch of state management that you might want to use uh, inside of syringe, things like reloading lesson content or any number of things like that. But the big use case for that um, is being able to validate that you've created a lesson um, uh, correctly. So as I mentioned, um, the abstraction that we put into place allows you to create a lesson as code. So what that means is you have to create a YAML file that describes the lesson. Um, you have to create a certain directory structure that makes sure things like you know configs for your network devices or your other endpoints, like for instance, Ansible playbooks. You can use Ansible playbooks to configure the endpoints that, that are in your lesson. Uh, this could be network devices, but it could be anything else. Um, you could also have Python scripts do the same thing. So any number of things that are required when you define a lesson as code, um, it's, it's not trivial to just sort of read the docs and hope that you got everything right. So what we did is we created a, a subcommand with SYRCTL that uh, simply called validate. And what it'll do is it'll go over your lessons and make sure everything's in the same in the right place. We, we found this is tremendously helpful for people that want to create content and want to contribute it to the curriculum because they can run that and know that they've created something that sort of makes sense. Yeah, that's a similar technology in Ansible that I certainly use quite a bit to see if I screwed up and things will actually happen the way I want. So <laughs> makes sense. I, I wanted to hit on something you talked about earlier. Uh, it was I, I wrote myself a note like guacamole as I'm reading through everything. It was like lab this and, you know, beakers and chemistry and then guacamole. (laughs) I know it's not your project, but just it's a dependency. Can you go a little bit deeper and introduce people who maybe never heard of it before? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, and and this is a pretty cool project um, that uh, it's it's an Apache project. So it's yeah, Apache guacamole. And um, it's, it's a really cool technology, actually. And of course, one of the things that we wanted to solve, of course, when we created this project was like we wanted to put the reliance on the actual user of setting things up. We wanted to just take that out. We don't want people to have to worry about setting things up on their on their system, which means you have to do everything in the browser. It's kind of the only way to do it these days. And so we started shopping around for projects to help us do that. We came across Apache Guacamole. Uh, it, you can use it for all kinds of like remote access kind of things. And so they actually distribute sort of a vanilla Apache Guacamole pr- uh, project or program. So like you, if you wanted to just simply install it, uh, it allows you to do basic remote desktop in the browser. So you can configure your own RDP sessions there. They have a they have an actual application that does all of that. We aren't using that so much. What we're using actually is the JavaScript library that that powers that, as well as some of the backend um, systems like uh, the the GuacD daemon. Um, so that's like their proxy behind the scenes. Um, so what, the reason we're using that is because it allows us to embed the uh, terminal. So a full terminal um, experience. Uh, it's it's actually within tabs. Um, in the browser, as well as in the future supporting uh, things like VNC and RDP. So no need to reinvent that wheel. What we actually do is we just use Guacamole inside Antidote Web. And um, one of the cool things about the way that we have Antidote Web interacting with Syringe is Syringe creates all of the endpoints within Kubernetes and makes the actual lesson work. And then as part of its API, it hands that de- those details off to the web front end. And the web front end then uses Guacamole and says, hey, uh, 
syringe tells us that that particular endpoint for your lesson is available at uh, this port and this IP address and so on and so forth, go connect to it. And uh, that's mm. what Guacamole does. And, it, and again, it totally depends on the endpoint. Could be SSH, could be VNC, totally depends on what you've defined in the lesson. But Guacamole is what makes that uh, possible in the browser. Matt, I've been on some of the weekly uh, NRE Labs calls that people that are interested in the project can listen and ask questions and participate and you know, get direction and see where the project is going. And recently you mentioned that there's going to be some pretty big architectural changes that you, you want to get done in Syringe. Can you talk about what you want to change and why? Yeah, totally. So just a little bit of history there. The project itself uh, is about a year old from inception. And uh, we launched in October of last year. That's when it went public. And our goal there wasn't to sort of, you know, behind closed doors, create this like monster project that's awesome and perfect and had like, you know, billions of engineering dollars spent on it. Like, no, that. It's just not reality. What we wanted to do is we wanted to get it out as soon as possible so that so that we had something that's working um, that sort of illustrates the problem that we're trying to solve and the solution that we put up, but still allows the community to sort of own it. And so one of the things that we've uh, that we've wanted to do in the past year is, okay, so we, we created Syringe and, and a lot of the other components as sort of their first edition, like the minimum viable product or project in this case. That was wildly successful. I think we, we, I think we succeeded in that. I mean, it, it, it seems like it accomplishes the goal. However, uh, there's no denying that there's still more work to do, especially if you want to do things like make it better, you know, more debuggable, make it easier to contribute to Syringe, for instance. Um, so as an example, what we currently have today is we compile all of Syringe into a single binary. Now, there's advantages to that. It's a lot simpler. Um, uh, and, and of course, you're just running a single program. And so operationally, it's pretty simple. But there's a lot of problems with that, too. Um, first off, not all of the things that Syringe does happen um, all the time. And in fact, uh, some of the things can operate in isolation. Uh, for instance, we garbage collect uh, lessons after inactivity for about uh, after about 30 minutes. And um, that's a service that can operate in and of itself uh, sort of externally. There's also the, the, the elephant in the room, which is that there's no external database for Syringe right now. It's all managed in memory, which, again, has its advantages. But, of course, that has its own problems. So if you, for instance, have an, have an outage with Syringe, Syringe has a crash, for instance, all of that state's lost, and you sort of have to reset everything from scratch. That doesn't happen a lot, especially after the initial round of fixes once we went public, but it does happen. Uh, and, and of course, being a single binary, it's kind of hard to extend that unless you, unless you know the internals of Syringe. And so... What we're doing is one of the first big mini projects is that we're establishing as part of like a lot of the community involvement is we're breaking Syringe up into microservices. So some of the specific services and things that Syringe does, um, those will effectively be their own services. And the other big thing is we're going to be managing state externally. So all of the very small amount of state that Syringe has, which it's not very much, it's really basically what lessons are running and, and for how long. That's basically all we do. Um, the vast majority of, of the logic is stored on disk as part of the actual curriculum um, abstraction. That's what we store in Git. So most of this is not a huge deal, but we still want to store that state externally. And so there's going to be an effort to move from an in-memory model to some sort of external database, likely to be something like Postgres. Um, so it's going to be a pretty big undertaking. Uh, so if you know Go, you don't even need to be a network engineer. Uh, if you know Go and you want to help, just let us know. This is this is definitely something that we uh, that we don't want to do in isolation. We want we want uh, sort of the community to own this because this is basically going to be what I would consider sort of like the 1.0 architecture for the project. I 
like the ability to validate the, I'll, I'll just call it the correctness of a lesson. And that seems pretty dope because uh, I don't know how many technologies I work with where you just kind of put together this, you know, popsicle bridge with glue and rubber bands and you hope it works. And it just is like error zero. I don't, I don't know what that means. So I like that it's checking that out, especially as you start working in the project like Antidote and you want that virtual co-pilot to check your work. Beyond that, something that I took away was this project really tackles a lot of high value skill sets. I think that's going to be interesting to a wide audience of you listeners out there who are like, oh, I want to get involved with Python or Linux or Kubernetes or whatever it is to bust those silos kind of in your own brain and take different ideas to your team. What's on your mind, Ethan? Oh, the community aspect. I just love that this project is built with the intent that community is going to be able to contribute. And it doesn't mean like it's an all or nothing contribution. If maybe all you want to do is create and then sanity check some lessons, you can do that. Maybe you want to go really deep and write or improve code. You can do that too. The whole project isn't designed with that intention. That community is going to participate and make this thing much bigger than just Matt or any of the other uh, contributors that are on the team now. Well, now we know about, I don't know, guacamole and syringes and all sorts of stuff that, uh, you know, fun to play with in tech. Don't pick those things up off the ground. Let's put it that way. Um, so sometimes these jokes are super funny. Sometimes I never know. But let's say that I've become quite adept at working with some of the dependencies you talked about, Matt. Like, hey, mini cube, syringe, antidote. Like, I, I'm good. I get it. And I want to build more. I want to build something for my use cases. I want to actually create some content beyond the curriculum that you have. What is that process to kind of give back to the community or build something custom for my own curriculums? Yeah, sure. Now, especially if you're talking about the NRA Labs curriculum, we, we sort of recommend a four-step uh, cycle for that. So the first thing is to ask around. Um, it turns out that there are a finite number of topics in the world of network automation that you can talk about, and some are way more popular than others. And so the first thing you should probably do is within our GitHub uh, organization, uh, we have repos or the repo for the NRA Labs curriculum, uh, as well as our Discord server and our, um, our forum, all of which have links in the, uh, I'm sure we'll post the show notes, uh, links in the show notes, as well as in our, in our documentation. But the first thing is sort of ask around, let people know, hey, I want to work on this. Like, say, I want to create a lesson on Ansible. That's a pretty popular request these days. There's actually like seven people that kind of want to create that lesson at the moment. Um, So that's definitely the first step. I would recommend just, hey, I have an idea for what I want to contribute. Here's kind of what I think might be useful. What do you guys think? Um, that'll give other people an opportunity to say, hey, I kind of want to work on the same thing. And, and here's what I was thinking. We should sort of collect, uh, join forces. Um, once that's sort of done, that's that's really the hard part, frankly, is is getting, getting the team together effectively for the topic you want to tackle. Um, the next thing is planning it out. So get a pretty good idea, like just a general outline. It's kind of like the very first stage of writing a book. Like, you know what you want to tackle. Now it's time to write out the very rough table of contents. Um, and then the third step is just putting it together. And so follow our documentation for actually writing a lesson. And this is mostly going to be, frankly, simple readme files, basically. Like the vast majority of content creation is not how to work with NRE Labs and how to put together all of that metadata and whatnot. It's mostly uh, the, you know, the configurations you need for, for your network devices or whatever else you want to put in there. And then overwhelmingly, it's your um, it's your markdown files for describing the lesson itself. So your actual like lab guide. That's that's what I would expect to take the most time. And then finally, review and merge. Everything we do is in GitHub, including the curriculum, especially the curriculum. 
And so, yeah, the way to contribute to this is to open a PR, um, so a pull request. So um, we also have documentation on that. Not, you know, a lot of a lot of our audience actually has no idea how even GitHub works, and they just uh, they just want uh, to contribute some of their immediate learnings on automation. They, they may be new to it, and that's totally fine. We want to we want to contribute. We want to collect those contributions as well. So we actually have a pretty light introduction to GitHub with links elsewhere. Uh, if you're new to that, we have that in our docs as well. So you've just said that you do accept uh, external issues, pull requests, and, and all of that. It's it's all built around that that process that people that are comfortable in the GitHub world will will know what that's all uh, uh, will know how all of that works. So so give me some stories, man. You any any maybe some some gotchas, anything that you can share about successful contributions, people that have used this process, or uh, are there any common pitfalls that you want to warn people about? Yeah, the big thing is this is a lot of this is new software. Like we created the platform, uh, you know, fairly recently. So um, there are a lot of features that are baked into the platform that that we either haven't done a very good job of, of evangelizing, or maybe we haven't just because they're new. Um, so I, I think I just want to highlight the the need for communicating your intention. Um, it's very important to do that, not only, of course, to collaborate with others, um, but if we see the content that you're planning on creating, there's a high likelihood that we have some tool in the toolbox that's built into the platform that'll really help make that content shine. So um, definitely don't build anything in isolation. Just let people know what your thoughts are, and you never know what might come out of that. That's the big thing. Um, the other thing is, you know, a lot of folks, they assume because it's NRE Labs and we, we are teaching network automation on that site, that you have to be a networking person in order to contribute. Um, and this just isn't the case. I think for the NRE Labs curriculum, it helps. Um, certainly, if you if you know network automation, that's useful. Um, but you might just be sort of automation savvy, and you might be teaching the fundamentals of a particular tool that also happens to be usable in the networking world. Um, so that's that's useful too. There's there's no need to really have networking uh, knowledge uh, if if that's what your if that's what your goal is. And then of course we have other all of the other areas that that aren't even the curriculum that you can contribute to. For instance, of course the platform itself uh, is its own project. So if you're a web front end developer, like that's we have gigantic need uh, for that skill set. Um, I, I am not a web developer. I just know enough to be dangerous. And so that's why the current site exists the way it exists. Um, so definitely that's cool. And of course, if you're a systems programmer, I already kind of talked about some of the backend stuff that we could use help with. So don't assume that you that, that you don't have the skill set to contribute. There's probably, even, even if you're non-technical uh, and you just kind of know how good docs work, we've got a place for you to contribute to. Um, so don't be afraid to, to, to let us know that you'd like to help. And we'll help you through that. You make a really good point around the don't create an isolation. I think that's a blanket statement you can make for pretty much all things on open source. Is you know if you're thinking of it, probably someone's thinking some variant. And there's always these backend tools, projects, whatever that is kind of brain locked in the you know tribal knowledge layer that can help you out. To that end, uh, I know I think you mentioned a little bit earlier that Ethan, you've been on these standups. Maybe you could talk about those standups and other ways that people can engage with you and your team, Matt. Yeah, so we, uh, as I mentioned, we we do everything in the open. There's no sort of like back uh, back door, you know, back community that we that we have. Everything's done in the open. Part of that is uh, we have a weekly standup. So mostly that's um, you know the folks that are that are that are uh, you know basically core to the project, quote core. Um, mostly what we do is we just listen. So folks join and they say, hey, I wish Antidote or NRE Labs did X, um, or I think this this particular area that is underserved, um, might, there might be an opportunity to get into that. Um, we've actually had some really great conversations with folks in these standups that uh, that are showing interest in Antidote itself outside of networking entirely. Uh, there's there, I, unfortunately, I can't share specific details at the moment because I don't know that they're comfortable with that. But um, there, uh, to your uh, to sort of what we've just talked about, where you don't make assumptions on like 
what kind of things, you know, if you, if you, if you go in making assumptions, you might limit the things that you, that you um, become aware of that are useful. And we've been, we've been made aware of use cases that we just didn't even consider, which is wild. That's really cool. Um, so we have the week up weekly standup, definitely, um, uh, um, there's, there's a link in the show notes. I'm sure, uh, it's community.networkreliability.engineering. That's our sort of forum site. We have a, we have a category in there called announcements. And every time we have a standup, we, we post the agenda there. So definitely stop by that. That's probably the best way to, to start getting involved. Cause you really don't need to do anything. You just need, you just show up and listen. That's fine. Uh, Matt, in addition to the, uh, the standup and, and you guys doing everything out in the open, what about, uh, meet space, their community events, virtual meetup areas that I can uh, participate in? Yeah, so um, there's a few things, you know, not, uh, I don't think anything specific to NRE Labs. Of course, you know, every time, uh, you know, Juniper goes and does events where there's, there's a mention there, but definitely outside of Juniper, there's some things like um, uh, David G, for instance, he's running an, an NRE meetup, meaning, you know, NRE, the, the, the concepts and the and process angle of things um, in the UK in a, in a town called Burton-on-Trent, which is the most British thing I think I might have ever heard. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it if you are British. It's probably some abbreviated sense of that. But anyway, Burton on Trent. There you go. That's my American pronunciation. Um, so that exists. Uh, that, that's uh, you just it literally Google for NRA Meetup UK. I'm sure you'll find it. It's um, I think he's held at least one, maybe two sessions of that. And it was pretty popular. Um, so if you're in Europe, I would say definitely check that out. Um, there's also a lot of interest I've been hearing lately on an NRE sort of network automation meetup uh, actually up here in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, nothing to share there yet, but stay tuned. Uh, it seems like there's actually a lot of people that kind of want that. So um, we might have critical mass to make that happen. So hopefully that happens soon. Um, of course, there's there's probably network automation meetups local to your uh, local to your city. Um, or at least networking meetups, just check that stuff out. I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is the this is the day. Not that not that big conferences are going anywhere or that they're not useful, but more than ever, like these small meetups are so valuable. I I love going to these small meetups. It used to be that it was really hard to find these communities. That's just not a problem anymore. So if you want to get involved with your local community, the time is now. I'm having this mental image of just showing up at your house with a six pack, be like, let's talk automation, dude. <laughs> Fine. All right. <laughs> well, Kind of parting question here, Matt, and it's yeah. really, you know, we've talked about network automation and, and some of the dependencies and the code and the technologies used in this project, but I just really want to kind of wax on that a little bit. What do you have in mind when it comes to transferable skills that someone that's putting their hands on any portion of this project can expect to gain or take away as participating in this community? I'm thinking things like, you know, improving my Python coding, becoming better at APIs and GitHub or Based on all the imagery, I guess chemistry is involved here somewhere. I at least know what you know what a beaker is. But seriously, yeah. though, like, uh, what can I get beyond just the project's heart and intent itself? Yeah, you can you can learn chemistry insofar as figuring out how to shove chunks of dry ice down a beaker filled with water. Like that's about the chemist the chemistry learning that I that yeah. I got out of this project. <laughs> Um, but no, seriously. Um, yeah. So for the NRE labs curriculum itself, yeah, all of that stuff is definitely there. Um, so yeah, Python, GitHub and API stuff. Um, there's, you know, Linux skills. We have a, we have an intro to Linux. We have a lesson that's coming out very, very soon. That's an intro to bash, literally like the bash shell and the scripting language. So, um, that'll be really cool. Um, there's also of course, you know, plenty of like one-on-one tool, one-on-one lessons with, you know, some of the tools that are being used in the space. Um, a lot of the lessons are also not 
focused on tools specifically. They're use, they use some of those tools, but they're focused on teaching you sort of a different way of thinking about your infrastructure. So instead of like how to, you, how to run, you know, how to create an Ansible playbook, it's much more of like, okay, how to think of your work in discrete, discrete workflows. You know, you don't, a lot of us, we take for granted the fact that, you know, we, we check in in the morning, we sit down at our desk at nine, we do some work. There's this like ethereal blob that's in the middle there. And, and then we leave at five or, or something like that. But the reality is we actually participate in, in a bunch of different discrete workflows throughout our day. And I think the benefit of, of going down this path is you start to learn about how to think of your work in terms of workflows, which is very valuable and very conducive to automation. And then the other thing is, of course, as you get more involved with automation, I think it organically moves you up the stack. I mean, you can't really do automation in any discipline without becoming much more well aligned with the application space. And so, you know, if you're an infrastructure person, you're, you're going to get better at your own craft by automating some of your common workflows, but it's also going to naturally break down a lot of those silos because, you know, really what it's going to do is it's going to elevate you and make you more valuable to your own organization or the job market, if that's what you're interested in. That's fair. And I'll definitely say I've known you for quite some time. Definitely take Matt up on the offer to come work with this project because I'm telling you, you're going to learn something and it's going to be an environment where it's very inclusive and friendly and newbie friendly, which I think are, it's important because sometimes like, oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't know, get, and then you, you, you're afraid to press the button, you know, like everyone's going to laugh at you and that's, that's not how this is going to go down. So it's definitely something to take a look at. Uh, Matt, for those that want to engage with you further, where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, sure. Now, you could, of course, find NRE Labs at uh, labs.networkreliability.engineering. Um, if you go to the top of that, uh, that uh, the site, there's links to our docs as well as our community forums and a few other things. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mirdin, M-I-E-R-D-I-N. And then I blog occasionally, although I'm, develop, you know, I'm throwing a lot of my energy into NRE Labs these days. So uh, it's, it's a little bit bare, but I still do try to blog every once in a while on keepingitclassless.net. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And that's it for today's edition of the Data Dots podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. And my blog is wallnetwork.com. Or my good friend, Ethan, he's at EC Banks on Twitter. And he's blogging over at packetpushers.net. For more of our Data Dots shows about infrastructure engineering, visit packetpushers.net, the internet home for all of our IT podcasts, blogs, and news. By and for serious IT professionals just like you. If you learned something today, share this episode with your colleagues because, I mean, hey, that's kind of the point, right? Bust those silos. And if your company is interested in appearing on a future episode of the show, we'd love to work with you to craft an engaging narrative as a sponsor of the Data Knots. Until then, may your server lights blink, your open source be snazzy, and your cables be cleanly managed. Thank you.